It's raining really hard outside right now. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, it's a very rainy. Do you feel like that episode, or not episode, but that part of Winnie the Pooh? The Which windy, one? The newer blustery one? day. Oh, yeah. It's the old one, you know? And it rained yeah. and it rained in the little song. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When Pooh was all dressed up in the, uh, he had his little jacket and his hat yeah. on and stuff. Yeah, yeah like that right now with all the rain coming down so i think of, what's the song <laughs> i didn't until you but there's said like the it song and, and the rain came, came I, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm doing everything wrong right now uh, but you know what I, it's in my head i'll let I know you figure that one out <laughs> i'm gonna have to look it up now that movie was so cute that christopher robin with ewan mcgregor yes that was really really good i i don't r- watch movies at all anymore our whole, not, really, not a, we, our whole family doesn't. Which is really weird for me to say because if you've you're known like a movie me, buff of all yeah, buffs, yeah, was. Like I would buy that to keep for the kids. I thought it was so cute. But. So anyway, we're gonna go ahead and. Hey, you said something about it raining, so that's what you made me think of. We're we're talking today, giving a little bit of a. Summary of the Millennial Kingdom that we're always talking about. So this is going to be in line with the um, in in line with the End Times podcast that we've had come out recently. So if you haven't been with us, it's been kind of a series that we're doing. So you're you definitely gonna if you're new, you're <laughs> gonna, gonna want to go, go back and listen you're gonna to go those. backwards and listen to it if you care to. And in if, the title, we've been putting end times, you know, right. And things, if so. not, if you just want to, you know, if you're new and you just want to just catch up by yourself, cool. We'll tr- we're going to try to make this as simple as possible. Basically, what we're doing on this one is giving a case for. I don't feel like our last one was the simplest of all of them. It ones, wasn't. It really wasn't. It was more giving a theological context of premillennialism. Okay, smart guy. Which. <laughs> Well, that's what it, that's literally what the I know, but now we're just going to kind of all right. So, what are the the practicalities? So, giving it thing? because and one of the things that this kind of started off with is it started off with, and I don't really want to give them any really time of day on a negative standpoint, but it's it's something that really bothers me with Jeff Durbin and Apologia Studios. I've said many times that I really really respect Jeff. I really respect his ministry. I, ministry, I don't know why I can't talk right now. I'm like stuttering Moses over here. Anyway, I really respect his ministry. Um, and I think they do wonderful things. He's a wonderful teacher. I've definitely learned some things from him. But something happens when it comes to this topic But something happens whenever he, when it comes to eschatology. And eschatology is one of his main points. And he speaks about it over you know over and over again and lately he has been completely misrepresenting premillennialism and not giving it any kind of legitimate backing he builds oh, these yeah and that's he where builds he specifically called weak, it untrue no right. biblical basis yeah and he builds these little strong. these little personal arguments off of these things and gives it no theological basis or recognizes it he calls it a new doctrine something that has just been you know invented and and taught and believed towards the 19th century and i mean he's just made some ridiculous claims about it that just and finally we kind of, i was kind of like you know what now somebody needs to speak up for it because 
a lot of the things that he says about it is correct. Um, he identifies the fact that there's a lot of lunatics in the pre-mill camp okay, that believe a lot of crazy things and, and they say a lot of weird stuff. And we have definitely had black eyes in representation over the years. I mean, as soon as you say pre-mill, you automatically think of, you know, blood moons and left behind. And that just kind of makes you face palm because that's like, you know, saying Butterbean. I don't know if all of you know boxing at all, but Butterbean's the big old white, big old dude. I mean, he's about. He's bald, right? Yeah, he's bald. You know, he's wearing like the American flag trunks or whatever. I mean, that's like saying that Butterbean represents boxing. Yeah. You know, like, no, Butterbean. (laughs) No, there's a science. Most people are, you know, there's a whole thing to it. So it's, he's just not giving any, he, he's taking the clown view and just running with it. And he's just pushing this content out there that just stomps over a true, um, what we believe to be. And we're going to give an argument for here and not really give an ar- it's not an argument. I'm actually just giving my position on it, how I believe and giving you the the verses and the scripture to back up why and what I see in scripture. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like I said, they're just, he's not giving any kind of legitimate view to it. And if you don't hold to premillennial eschatology, that's fine. I, I recently was talking with a sister in the Lord that clearly did not. And I respect the other view. I, I real I recognize the other views of it. Um, you know, and I, I definitely can see and understand how people get to these conclusions. And, but to me, most of their, the arguments just fall apart miserably in the totality of scriptures. But that's, that's how I, I view it. And the Bible leaves these things open for us to, to work in the same framework and to have different understanding, but at the same day, we're, we're worshiping the same God. Um, we believe in the same Christ. Just how we get there is, is just the only part that we we disagree on. However, from my point of view, that it, it is, or for, for our point of view, it is very, very important that these things are represented correctly and that we teach these views and show these views correctly because they have, um, you know, they have literal application to them. Um, we hold a position for Israel specific. And although we don't think that Israel and everything is doing everything correct now, and they certainly aren't to be worshipped or anything now. We definitely hold the position for them. And the fact that their existence since 1948 exists right now. And that we have Jerusalem, which we is a recognized capital city of Israel again. And in essence, we haven't had that since 70 AD. I mean, it's def- that's you know argued amongst many people. But I'm not here to make that argument. The reality of it is that since you know, about 70 AD, Jerusalem itself has not been recognized as, as, you know, a a city in Israel. So the fact that it is now means a lot. And that's why I think some of this is important in just presenting it from a correct viewpoint, giving some scripture behind it, and in 
you know, because like I said, it's just misrepresented. It seems like everywhere you turn. And I think that it's an interesting thing because I hold to all the other doctrines, you know, that most reform theology holds to except for the eschatology which is the study of end times i completely disagree with so all that being said if you haven't been with us please go back before you um get upset at some of my comments <laughs> or if if you're confused because um, i'm i'm definitely good at confusion unfortunately i try not to be but it's just a lot of information to try to compact into these and try to trying to separate separate it out. I feel like that one like meme that I showed you where it's <laughs> yeah. got um, the one guy from Always Sunny. Yeah, in and your he's brain got his and what you're out and like, and then, yeah. yeah, like it's totally what I feel like. But anyway, we're trying. We've got a um, we got a couple articles here, and they are not a couple writings that are not from got questions just to prove that <laughs> there you guys i have loop. plenty of other sources other than got questions that i that i use um but these are a couple uh these are a couple write-ups that are do a great job of explaining why we believe in a literal thousand year kingdom which you'll hear me to refer to as the millennial kingdom and that's the huge difference from what I was just talking about from a person like Apologia, you know, listeners of Apologia would would believe. They more so are on the side that we are currently in the kingdom now and that when Jesus came to earth, he brought this kingdom and he is currently ruling and reigning from his Davidic throne in heaven, which amen to all of that. They're right about it, but the only thing is is that the Davidic throne is a literal earthly throne in Jerusalem. It's never been, it's never been known as a spiritual throne in heaven. There's a distinct difference. Absolutely. And um, you know, making we were just reading Second Samuel this morning, and you can see the distinct difference between the two things, even in in David's day, um, with. You know, they're they're very specific. One is God's house and one's yep. the house of David. However, the house of David will be fulfilled completely, literally, and we don't believe that it's been um, all, you know, it has all been fulfilled, but it has not been completely realized yet, and it will not be completely realized until we believe in earthly reign of Christ during this thousand year period or during this this kingdom period so they believe that we are in the kingdom now and that it is a it is the church body's duty and we have the authority under christ to bring the nations under bring the nations under the feet of christ bring them to christ um and then Christ will return at the end of this period that basically turns into a earthly utopia. That so thing to speak. that everybody is actually looking for with the peace on earth and the righteousness. Sure, and sure. The, with Christ all of that, correct. Jerusalem. And then Messiah will come and, and that'll happen. So that's the view that 
that they hold. We hold to a, no, we can't do that. We're going to go ahead and let Jesus take care of that and fill these in a complete literal way. So these two articles, this one is from, like I said, Bible Study Tools. They're another awesome resource that um, they even provide more resources and more books and stuff than they're a great teaching resource for pastors and things. Uh, and just for anybody that's a Bible student or, you know, like studying, honestly, they're great. You can you can go in and do keyword searches. They've got the Greek. They've got they, they've got everything on here. Um <clears throat> but this one is explaining why a millennial kingdom, why we believe in this and what this is all about. So I'm going to go ahead and let Heidi read it since <laughs> she reads better than I do. I don't know, except for that one. Except the other for, day, I don't know. Yeah, awful. you've been, You're killing you me. had been kind of tripping up a little Gosh. bit. You were kind of like me. I was like, I even said, I think when we paused once, I was like. I was trying, man, but You're I trying did hard not to do me a good right job. All right. So, let's get into this. Trying, trying hard to be Moses over here. <laughs> I'm supposed to be Aaron. What's going on? Yeah, you're supposed to be Aaron. Okay. I'm not eloquent of, of All speech. All right, so why a millennial kingdom? Why must there be a future thousand-year kingdom on earth? Even in the absence of the book of Revelation, premillennialists would expect a future kingdom on earth because one is required in order for God to fulfill the many Old Testament promises which require such a kingdom. It is to be regretted, however, that the word millennium ever supplanted the biblical word kingdom. For we are not dependent on the 20th chapter of Revelation for our understanding of the kingdom age. It is Amen. Yeah. It is mentioned and described so many times by the Hebrew prophets that the Bible would not make sense unless there is a literal kingdom. Now, this is not going to give you the verses. The first part of this will not give you the verses. We're just this trying is to discuss just it brief summary of why and what it is and then the second part of this will have the scripture to back up the belief exactly so we'll get there so just hold on we'll get let's, there just hang let's on let's go through this all right but again it is really amazing because everybody likes to go oh, you only claim to this is in revelation 20 and it's like no you could read the whole old testament and have this picture no, like thoroughly in point without ever even reading revelation. and that's what that's what's really hard about the pre-millennial view is people go okay well what's your what's your scripture to back up your interpretation i honestly from genesis to revelation and i know that sounds <clears throat> crazy but i mean there's really that would be it's, it's, I'm hard pressed to find a book does not. I mean, you know, uh, maybe songs, maybe you know. But yeah, I mean, maybe a couple. You know, but in Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, um, Isaiah, all the all the Old Testament prophets, except for, um, yeah, no, I think all the Old Testament prophets had some sort of future reference. Yeah, even if their prophecies were dealing with just. Um, you know, there. I guess, for instance, the story of Jonah. Yeah. I mean, that was a that was a literal judgment on Nineveh, and so that that had already you know all this had already occurred in the past. But look at all of the the things that we learned prophetically from. Oh wait, here, look, hold on. From Jonah. Uh, or no, maybe we said that. Okay, let's see. In let's fact, continue. in fact, if there was. Sorry, in fact, if there is no kingdom, God's word cannot be trusted. 
and many of the promises of God to both Israel and the Gentile nations would go unfulfilled. That is impossible. The kingdom is guaranteed if for no other reason than Jesus promised he would return and set it up and permit his 12 disciples to rule on the thrones. Matthew 19.28 and Luke 22.30 And as we shall see, so will his saints. Due to the superficial knowledge of so many in our day, they have not recognized in their study of the scriptures the thousand years of John are found in the Old Testament prophets, but still keep harping on the old tuneless string that the millennium is found in only one passage of the Bible and that in a very obscure book called the Apocalypse. None of the promises which God, and those are direct quotes that it's taking um, from someone, it's down here below, but anyways, that's why it's it's not saying that like, oh, we're pretty sure that's what people are saying about it. No, those are like direct quotes of what people are saying about it. Yeah, these are, and they have everything linked below in this article. They have everybody that it came from, where they got it from, notes on it. So we'll go ahead and link it in the description too. But yep, so you guys can these these have are di- These are direct quotes. Yep. None of the promises which God has given are more important than those which are the subject of unconditional formal agreements called covenants which God made in the Old Testament. A plain reading of each of the biblical covenants indicates there are elements of the covenants which remain unfulfilled. Since these covenants are unconditional, then it follows that they will be fulfilled or else God's word would be broken. Another basis for the belief in a coming kingdom rests on the four unconditional, unfulfilled covenants, Abrahamic, Land, Davidic, and the New Covenant, God made with Israel. These covenants are unconditional and so rely solely on God for their fulfillment and not on Israel. They are also unfulfilled, and since God is one who keeps his promises, they must be fulfilled in the future. They can only be fulfilled within the framework of a messianic age or a millennial kingdom. Another reason there must be a millennial kingdom is because there are numerous passages, especially in the Old Testament, which describe conditions which sound a lot like the eternal state, but contain elements which are incompatible with what we know about the eternal state. So here's an example. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die one hundred years old, but the sinner being one hundred years old shall be accursed that's isaiah 65 17 through 20 see so there is a little bit of scripture in there so i mean that's one of the main prophecies that we that we go to is isaiah 65 you know there's no in in the new heaven in the new earth in new jerusalem there's no death but then we have this period here that discussing death we're discussing death we're like well no martian if it lived but a few days nor an old man who's not fulfilled his days for a child shall die at 100 years old and the sinner 100 years old shall be accursed yeah these are written old testament prophecies speaking of this millennial kingdom age Isaiah 65, we're recognizing that this this whole period of Isaiah has not been fulfilled yet. Yeah, this hasn't happened. (laughs) And that's that's recognized across the board between many theologians, not 
Not the post-millennial um, preterist group, of course. Well, because that's where you get to these really weird spiritualizations uh, yeah, and where obscurities things just, and things. Yeah, yeah. where you get to, get to that, which that's not what we're here to represent that view. But that's so, more reasons. In the midst of describing a time of tremendous blessing and restoration, Isaiah mentions two facts which are incompatible with the eternal state, death and sin. That's just what it said. <laughs> exactly. Know. So cross-reference Revelation 21.4, Revelation 21.8, Revelation 22.15, and then on. It is obvious that this passage has never been fulfilled in history past. It most certainly doesn't describe history present, and it cannot describe the eternal state. So what is an interpreter to do? There are basically two solutions to this predicament. Which solution one chooses determines if one winds up a premillennialist or not. So one, take the text at face value and assume there must be a time where conditions are, as the text describes, the millennial kingdom on earth. Or two, spiritualize or allegorize the text to deny its literal meaning and interpret it as a vague description of a general spiritual principle. So which... Yeah, those are the... Those <laughs> that's are, essentially what we're doing here. I mean, I don't... There's really no... Maybe... That's written a little bit more harsh on the, the opposing side, but that's true. But that's essentially Which what Which you can either take that literal or you can spiritualize that. It either is meaning what it's saying and saying what it means, or it's just some kind of like poetic something. But to what part of the history of salvation are we to look for a place for the fulfillment of such prophecies as these of the state of peace prevailing in nature around the church, except in the millennium? A prophet was certainly no fanatic, so that we could say these are beautiful dreams. The prophet here promises a new age in which the patriarchal measure of human life will return, in which death will no more break off the life that is just beginning to bloom, and in which the war of man with the animal world will be exchanged for peace without danger. And when is it all to occur? Certainly not in the blessed life beyond the grave, to which it would be both absurd and impossible to refer to these promises, since they presuppose a continued mixture of sinners with the righteous and merely a limitation of the power of death, not its utter destruction. But when then? This question ought to be answered by the anti-millennialist. They throw back the interpretation of prophecy to a stage in which commentators were in the habit of lowering the concrete substance of the prophecies into mere doctrinal logic communes or in generalities. That's your amillennialist. Yes. They take refuge behind the enigmatical character of the apocalypse without acknowledgement that what the apocalypse predicts under the definite form of the millennium is the substance of all prophecy and that no interpretation of prophecy on sound principles is any longer possible from that standpoint of an orthodox amillennial inasmuch as the amillennial twists the word in the mouths of the prophets and through the perversion of scripture shake the foundation of all doctrines even one of which rests upon the simple interpretation of the words of revelation one of the purposes of the millennial kingdom is to demonstrate what life on earth would have been had man not rebelled in the garden of eden but instead had exercised his god-given dominion in the righteousness the restoration matthews 19:28 and acts 3:21 of the earth in preparation for the millennial kingdom will roll back conditions to much like they were prior to the flood Animals will be vegetarian, will no longer fear man, the earth will be highly productive, and peace will extend throughout the globe. This is what would have been in the absence of man's rebellion. 
and the righteous rule of Jesus from Jerusalem, the millennial kingdom will be a time of great spiritual and material blessing, which was God's intention for the earth from the beginning. It forms a transition between present history, floundering in sin, and the eternal state of perfection. Those who oppose the idea of a literal earthly kingdom often claim that premillennialists hold to this unsophisticated, even crude idea because they don't understand the spiritual blessings they already have and are unsatisfied with their lot, which is crazy. Some even claim that premillennialists are fleshly in their desire for material blessing. That's crazy. An individual Christian may ask himself this question. What more could the popular conception of the millennium give me than I already possess? I have a savior who is my prophet, priest, and king. God the Father is my covenant God. I have the forgiveness of sin. I have the promise of eternal life in heaven. I belong to the church, which is the Lamb's bride. I have the Holy Spirit as my teacher, sanctifier, and comforter. I have security against my greatest enemies, death, hell, and the devil. I belong to the commonwealth of Israel and am not a stranger from the covenants of promise. What more does a Christian desire? You know, and the interesting point in that too is it's funny when you look at especially this new age movement, which Mm. is so huge and even becoming huge in the church because this desire that people have, Mm -hmm. especially you see it in this new age movement, is for the millennial millennial reign. That's what everybody is desiring and talking about and wanting. But then the craziest part about it is they are desiring that but refusing to accept the power to save them. Because this is what's coming, and it is what we can enjoy through Christ. Mm-hmm. But people, you know, and right. then you see how people don't even teach us anymore. It's like, well, no wonder it's all doing this. Anyways, article goes on to say that kick misrepresents the motivation behind premillennialism. It has nothing to do whatsoever with what premillennialists want or whether they are unsatisfied. The question is not about what premillennialists want, but what is it that God wants? And in particular, what was God, what has God said he will do? Premillennialists believe all that God has said and not, are not content to spiritualize away the plain meaning of the text in order to support the deluded notion that Satan is now bound and the church is ruling and reigning over the nations to the ends of the earth, while the majority of the people on earth haven't the slightest idea this is so. Another often heard criticism of a literal earthly kingdom is that such a belief is carnal and fleshy. In their pursuit of holiness, many have embraced the view that material things are bad and spiritual things are good. This idea is not from scripture, but derives from the dualism of Gnosticism, which holds that the material realm is the seat of sin and the spiritual realm is the seat of pure things, lofty and high. But what does scripture say? Who was it that created the material realm in the first place? God. What was God's assessment of the material realm? Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Genesis 131. Neither material nor spiritual is inherently sinful. There are material things which are pure, and there are spiritual things which are pure. There are material things that are sinful, and there are spiritual things which are sinful, like unclean spirits. The idea that a future time a material blessing is carnal is unsupportable from Scripture. It just so happens to be one aspect of a time of great blessing in both the material and spiritual realms which God has said he will bring on the earth. The problem for those who deny the future earthly kingdom is one of doing of dealing with reality. No matter how triumphant one's theology, there comes a place when the rubber meets the road and practical reality impinges on faulty belief. The problem with those who deny premillennialism is they is that they confuse lack of faith with faulty interpretation. 
They blame the pre-they blame the premillennialist for failing to realize the victory and dominion which the church currently has because he lacks faith. However, the real problem is that the amillennialist or postmillennialist is deriving his theology from a faulty interpretation of the text. And in order to support that faulty view, he must continually deny the real facts on the ground. With each abortion, murder, war, or lie that occurs on the earth, the amillennialist, who believes Satan is currently bound, must go further and further out on a limb denying reality. And that's what blows my mind when you look at some of the stuff and it's like, how? How can you truly say that a pure, just honest read of scripture gets you to that conclusion? Some people see it and they have good arguments for it. <clears throat> like I said, and I've... I've I really respect them. That being said, I don't see it. Yeah. I don't. And, I, you know, weighing, obviously, before you, you want to make a position, the way that my mind works and the way that my te teaching, you know, before I even came out with anything, I wanted to make sure that I believed what I believed and I knew why I believed or taught sure. the way that I believe and talk so well and that's why <clears throat> new believers are not to be taking on leadership and teaching positions sure you have to take every single thing into account mm -hmm. before you stand there and just go yes that's my position yes amen i did have prior knowledge but i don't think that i had a i did not have a view nor a teaching one way nor the other sure um my mom always was pre-millennialist yep. she always she raised me like that so i did have that that was the church we were raised that in. influence yeah, sure. but at the same time you have to remember that i didn't really care that much about all this <laughs> you did so it. i that the fact of when i went into this it wasn't like i cared enough about one doctrine or the other i had no idea what the, what a doctrine was um you know so i don't i don't take anything you know lightly when i stand firm in a position like that because i definitely this is my own conclusion off of the facts on every single side. And I went to, I actually, the, the school that I went to is not premillennial. And that was one thing that kind of ticked me off. But <laughs> that was, they're not premillennial at all. Yeah. And so they didn't, all the teaching and everything that was in that was not done from a premillennial view. But that's so what caused like, you to really dive deeper into the opposing views right. and studying them and weighing them scripturally to say, where does this land? What has the most solid scriptural backing? Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and so going through all these and it's just... And I remember the first time, too, listening to John Piper and even Paul Washer, Vody Bauckham, going, what? What are you guys talking what about? What are you saying? Yeah. Like, you don't, this doesn't When you listen to them and scriptures sense. just start flying through your head, of, well, what about this? What about that? What and about I'm this? Like, and it boils down to me, and this is my opinion here, so make that clear, everybody who's listening and likes to... And I know I may, I know I upset people a lot. That's cool. I'm, I'm fine with it. But I want to make sure that I'm representing myself correctly when I'm saying these things. But 
is that they are so smart that they can't think past a literal interpretation of this because it's it it's like intel like and we spend our whole time defending people trying to take scripture and do things with it so automatically as a you know it is holding to reformed theology automatically you're at a defense right you don't want to yeah you don't you're like no scripture you know and, and i agree yeah. with all of that yeah all of those points but when it comes to a literal interpretation of these things and applying this to our worldview and our view today and everything, this is where we like stop. We, this cannot be literal. Absolutely not. Well, and that was kind of the point of the article, the last one in the theological case for premillennialism, where it's like, so where's the line at what is literal and what isn't mm-hmm. literal? So did Jesus literally ride in on a donkey? Okay, well, did this, did that? Mm-hmm. You know, you start going through this, and and you get very wishy-washy responses as to well, what and is and what isn't. It's, I understand that there's a, and most of the people that hold to the other view, I understand that there's a perception there that takes away from Christ. That, that it's, it perceives that you're taking that some will something say, yeah. away from Christ. And it's it it's making, you know, and I can see how that argument is there. But hopefully we'll be able to show you throughout this whole series where that's not the case at all. Absolutely not. Because if not, I mean, for me, this makes Christ... I mean, we rely on this. There's no way that we could possibly do this ourselves. Absolutely. This has to be done by somebody that we know came to earth. We know fulfilled all the prophecies that he fulfilled. And we know that he will return again for 100% fact and do these things and stand firm on it. And that's part of the faith in it is believing that he will come and do these things. It's like we don't believe that we can accomplish the things that that he's going to come and accomplish, but that still shouldn't change our outlook and our and our way that we go about life, everyday life. So that's where I'm in agreement with. That's where I think the middle the middle road is. However, most of these reformed theologians like this that that do this these they they just cannot. They're just too smart to see something that seems seemingly foolish. And I understand that. And that's actually kind of something that I actually went through a little bit of, honestly. Because I'm like, when you spend so long studying the seriousness of doctrine and, and you know, all these defense and depravity and and atonement and all these you know when you get into that and and who god is and the holiness of god and you get this just like man i can't can't touch this you know i can't i can't do any so i can understand how when you look at premillennialism it looks like a playground it look you know it looked like i get that because i've been up there with their you know with their thought and their and their debates not that i'm with them in in intelligence but i can i can listen to their conversations and understand them and I, but i mean i've been i've been with them there and then looked at premillennialism i'm going man i i understand the charges against it i really do sure i get it 
but at the same time, I, I'm I feel like there's like, come on, guys, you're not you're not looking at the reality of this. What if this is this not? It's not what if this is what it says. Yeah, but we're like, like, come on, give give a more literal interpretation to it and and let the bible interpret itself in the way that it needs to it, it inter, the way that the bible does interpret itself like you would any other text once you once you understand it it does there's it's not that obscure there's certain we don't know everything but it's not some obscure mess that we just don't know what to do with yeah you just throw your hands up okay i don't want to get any comments from people that don't believe the inerrancy of the bible i don't I don't care about that. If you don't, cool. We're not. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people that believe in the word of God. In the word of God. <clears throat> but you know, so let's just go ahead and finish. I'm almost done with this. Let's just finish this article so we can go on it. All right. So it says the results are predictable. Reality is increasingly denied by an incessant posturing of victory and dominion, which is completely out of step with the real world. In its extreme forms, all millennial interpretation has more in common with Mary Baker Eddy's Christian science, which denies the reality of sickness and pain as a mirage of the mind, than with biblical Christianity. If Satan is bound, all millennialists can only explain the reality of pain and sin and the horrid evidence of darkness all around us as a lack of faith or inadequate perspective on the part of the church. For all the work has been done and all that remains is for the church to realize what power she has and to take it up and overcome the sordid reality of darkness with power theology. The idea that God prophesied that Antichrist would be given dominion over faithful saints during the Great Tribulation, as recorded by the books of Daniel and Revelation, is simply not permissible in their world view. If Satan is bound and cannot touch believers, what scripture records are as faithful martyrs must in fact be untaught saints who lack faith. In the end, these spiritualized views do great damage. Not only do they twist the word of God so that it is made to serve up any desired result, but they damage the cause of Christ. The spiritualization of important passages calls into question the very foundation of the faith. Just where does spiritualization end and literal interpretation begin? Again, that's where we get into this real slippery slope, depending on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. If the resurrections of Revelation 21 can be spiritualized, then why not our future physical resurrection or the resurrection of Jesus? If Satan is bound now, then perhaps we are also in the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> this is the slippery slope to full preterism, which is a heretical view. No I if, ands, or buts. It's it, not just yes, me no, that just said it. Absolutely. I didn't just say it. It's not just me. This is other. This is because full preterism, it is heretical. Absolutely. And, and I... Hopefully, I'll be able to make a case in a couple podcasts for it being heretical. Not saying that that again. It's a it's a it's a hard thing to say because I've said many times before. R. C. Sproul taught full preterism pretty mm-hmm. much. Well, he was close to full preterism. He was close. You can't lie. He was he was very close. Um, but it was basically full preterism in the way that. Yeah, every prophecy has been fulfilled with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Or I mean with the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And with that, every single prophecy, including tribulation, the Antichrist, and everything is fulfilled. So now we are in this kingdom age, and the only thing that's left is final judgment. But there's no judgment. Like, it's, it's crazy. 
I don't understand that that view is not biblical to me at all. And some and most most common I mean even in your regular study bibles they will recognize that full preterism is outside of orthodoxy. It really is. But somehow it's crept in and it's become part of Reformed theology. So where you have these amazing, amazing teachers that are teaching this, you know, that are teaching the gospel or that are truly saved and have done wonders, yet they're teaching this completely heretical view that I believe is a doctrine of demons. And it doesn't make these men possessed or horrible or the mean that they're going to hell or anybody that holds to it going to hell. But there's there's a lot of danger to it and it we know that these teachings were going to come in from within the church and we know that they were going to be the teachings that were going to be right along right that sound right correct but then there's one serious thing off okay and if if there's one serious thing off to me it's logical that it would be anything that would take israel off of the map and out of the question and then spiritualize the rest of old testament prophecy and say that we're fulfilled in the church i believe that's it that's slight yes slight which i'll get quoted on that i'm sure anti-semitism <laughs> with not in your belief i'm not calling you anti-semitic because i've clarified with this with somebody that holds to this view before and i was like no i don't think you're anti-semitic at all i understand your position I just understand that I believe that the doctrine turns anti-Semitic very, very quickly. Yeah. So very, very that doesn't slope. make you or whatever else anti-Semitic. That's just where it goes. Yeah. And there's no, the there, uh, to me, there's no way out of it. So we, we have to be real careful with that. So go ahead. It's This is almost done. So there is also the issue of our witness in the midst of a skeptical world. If we tell a non-believing observer of the nightly news that Satan is bound, how likely is he to trust our discernment? And if we can be so wrong about Satan, why should he trust what we have to say concerning Jesus? No, there are numerous reasons to expect a future millennial kingdom. Let me give you these five points. Number one is that it is implied by God's desire to demonstrate righteous dominion. Two, Old Testament promises, when normally interpreted, require it. Number three, New Testament prophecies, when normally interpreted, describe it. Four, scripture in our daily experience affirm that God's literal kingdom has not yet come on earth, Matthew 9, 10. And five, our daily experience affirms Satan is not bound. And that's that point. You know, sometimes you listen to some of these guys and they claim these things and it's like, if this is the kingdom and this is what life is like when Satan is bound, yikes. Yeah, um, that's where it's, that's where there's different levels of bound um, to different, depending on how you believe. Of course, because how you spiritualize and take that. Right. I mean, some believe that Satan is bound in the way of deceiving the nations. And sometimes that can mean that the gospel is not going to be forgotten or there's no way that, you know, any different. Really? Because there's a lot of satanic work going on. Like, I I still, I I still don't get how you can do it. I don't know. So those are. Those are kind of, I thought that that was a good summary of why Yeah. there's a, why a millennial kingdom. And then. I'll go far, through some scriptures. Yeah. yeah. How far are we on this? 40 minutes. Right, this one might go a little long. 
So here. But let's give you. We keep talking about the Millennial Kingdom too. Let's give you a more summary of it again, and then verses. You are. We are going to throw a ton at you right now. We're not going to go through and break down every single one. There's no. We'll read a couple of them, but there's so many verses here. I mean, I can read them all. You just pause them and write them down as you need them, or or have your Bible pulled well, up I mean, and just pause. Well, I mean, we'll read all the verses, but not all the verses. Yeah. Out loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just go ahead and pause and write them down. And again, all of these will be linked down in the descriptions, um, so that way you can go and pull them up and and get all this as well. It is not our purpose here to describe the millennial kingdom at great length. It is a large topic and the subject of scores of prophecies, especially in the Old Testament. The chart below provides a summary of the main characteristics of the millennial kingdom. Because again, this is talked about so much in scripture. Like when you said, you're like, when people want to know what your scriptural reasoning is, you're like, um, Genesis to Revelation. Yeah, it's really difficult because <laughs> it is. Everywhere. And, and so here is the, I thought that this is a great place that summarized a lot of these verses still not all of them and you still need to take i still think that scripture and prophecies have a you have to take a read and you have to take all of them as a whole and then put all of it together along with the new testament in order to come to this conclusion as is readily seen it will be a time unlike any in history and you guys this is what we have to be like pumped about i mean to look forward to it will also be unlike the conditions in the eternal state it is not the same as the eternal state and that's where we recommend again randy alcorn's book heaven and heaven for kids if you have not read it how can you be living as a citizen of heaven and and focusing on that time if you don't understand what that is and those books they're amazing resources Imagine a world dominated by righteousness and goodness, a world where there is no injustice, where no court ever renders an unjust verdict, and where everyone is treated fairly. Imagine a world where what is true, right, and noble marks every aspect of life, including interpersonal relations, commerce, education, and government. Imagine a world where there is complete, total, enforced, and permanent peace, where joy abounds and good health prevails, so much so that people live for hundreds of years. Okay, let me stop right there. Listen, everybody asks, gets confused about the Millennial Kingdom or what to be excited for about the kingdom. Like, listen, it's seriously... All of those things. Every aspect of um, commerce, education, government, perfect government, total enforced and permanent peace where joy abounds. All this, like we've been talking about this new age um, movement sings about this period of just unity and And love love and peace and prosperity and and we're all living under the same sun and and this is modest yahoo's one day this is this This is is exactly what it is during this period of time and this is what everybody is looking for but this is never something that we in the flesh can do ourselves this is why we have to have christ in order because this is not something that man will ever be able to get to until he is but to understand that we will i mean we as believers in christ will come back in our glorified bodies but you will be living here on this literal earth that you are on right Mm -hmm. now you will be living here with jesus as king of the earth Mm -hmm. king of the whole world Mm -hmm. ruling and reigning And you will live here, but in, like, think of everything that sucks about your life. 
Like it's just awful. You're sick, you're broke, your family stinks, you're like, whatever it is, right? All of the awful things, because mm-hmm. we all have them to, to whatever degree, some of us more than others, but we all have things, it, right? You think, that's why we talk about the thoughts of, you know, winning the lottery. It's mm-hmm. like, man, if I could just win the lottery, at least my money problems would be taken care of and I could fix this and that, whatever, right? But this is like winning the lottery of everything. So if you're si- you're no longer sick, your kids can play in the pit of a viper and be okay. You know right. what I mean? Like you think of all of these things, but you're literally going to be living on this earth for a thousand years. Well, and people go, hey, what? what? I've never heard of this. This is crazy. Why, what, how are you talking like that? Wait, why? And Let me is, tell you. Well, and we will too. And, and this will bring up the, the verses of, of why that we take this literal. But we have to remember that the church has done a good job of taking out the root of this and the fact that these are this was a real place at a real time and a real race of people that god made real if we believe in god which we all do right we believe that he made literal real covenants with people here on this earth and they were a race they were a race of people and yes we are grafted into this tree but the tree has clearly got its roots somewhere yeah and it's a, and it where its roots are planted mm-hmm. is exactly where all of this revolves around, and not that it's the, the reason why it's special is because God put His name on this. Yeah, He said things to people here, and He promised again. I reference we read Second Samuel this morning again, and the promises that He gave to David. Which we're going to share. Which we're going to, and I have a whole nother uh, podcast that we can do specifically on the kingdom promises to David. And the kingdom promises that he made to David were literal on this earth. Yeah. And they still, still will be fulfilled because they deal with a literal time and literal people on this earth from Jerusalem that has not occurred in the history in biblical history in nor is it occurring right now so this is the point where it's like this is real this we're not just talking about a book and text and having arguments and theories and everything now we're talking about literal application now we're talking about literally looking up this looking up at the sky and seeing jesus and then seeing him stand right here in front of you and you being in the presence of the lord like that's what we're talking about not this isn't you know we're not just talking now now it's now we're actually putting something behind it and saying yeah this is actually what we believe this is real carry on so it says imagine a world where the curse is removed and where the environment is restored and the pristine purity of the garden of eden where peace reigns even in the animal kingdom so that the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fat and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them isaiah eleven six. imagine a world ruled by a perfect glorious ruler who instantly and firmly deals with sin Humanely speaking, the description may seem far-fetched, a utopian fantasy that could never be reality, yet it accurately describes conditions during the future earthly kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And honestly, a lot of times when you see these other views, you know, you look at things like amillennialism and things like that, it's like 
that's what it is. You you believe that this is just some utopian fantasy that can never be reality. So right. you've moved into this camp then. And like I because said, this is as it, good as it gets. Hard, it's hard sometimes to look at it and go, what? You know, because we, we just go about it. It seems too good from, to be true, right? right? You go, yeah, you go about it from a different way. And it almost sounds, to the way that we defend everything, especially towards Gnosticism and everything, it mm-hmm. almost, in a way, sounds you're like, whoa 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 we have to be careful of this you know like yeah because this is a and then you realize oh well yeah yeah but i understand how it's something that needs to be handled with care sure so continuing on all right we're going to give you kind of a topic a description and then just a list of scriptures that you can like I said, reference, pause, read, go through, and look at. Um, and then, obviously, this is a multi-part series, so we will continue to go through a lot of these, but we want to throw a bunch out at you guys. So the first point being the duration. We know it's going to be 1,000 years, and we know that because, um, in part... And I encourage you, to to go, when we give you these verses, not only read the verses, but you, you're... Unfortunately, you're going to need to read the book. Yeah. This is... Yeah, don't This just, is why... This, this is why I, I regret, huh? This drives you crazy. This is what drives me <laughs> yeah. nuts when people ask me for a biblical standpoint. And I say, a verse, a verse. A yeah. verse. Go, no, it's going to, I'm going to give you second Samuel here. But the problem is, is you're going to have to go read both Samuels to yeah. get a full context. Or at least of what, this window Because if of I chapters, show you yeah. something here that says one verse of me trying to prove my point, well, I can do anything by showing you one verse. A verse, yeah. You need to be able to read for yourself and understand that there's the context context of where it's at, the audience, the context, and what's going on. Yeah. So I encourage you to, one, read the whole book, two, get a study Bible that you enjoy. Like I said, I recommend The the ESV one is great. I recommend the NLT. They're a great, great tool to be able to understand some of this text, and they're a safe resource for you to be able to use now everything that's written in the in the in the study bible is not i mean okay it's not gospel truth this is just the general interpretation of the text over hundreds and hundreds of theologians that all agree okay this is what this text says yeah okay this is no there's no bias there is some bias when it comes to different things yes and you can see that but when it comes to solid doctrinal principles, they are not—they're not wishy-washy. They're not like, ah, oh, you know, no. They're—they're they're very, very serious, and they're correct, and they're spot on. You can see the spots where they—they may take some liberties. They'll say things but that's like, just in the notes, "It is not unknown," the you know, "It is yeah. unknown." It is. This is what this is. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Anyway, I encourage you to get that because even a view that does not take one side or the other the the esv study bible does not hold to one view or the other sure although they definitely don't agree with supersessionism because they say many different times in here they talk about a few future messianic reign sure that involves literal ethnic israel that's, that's what, what I was saying. You will see in this, if you look at the verses and, and you look at these different ones and you realize what context they're in, this is referring to a future messianic period 
of a literal rain from Earth. Um, so make sure that you, you know, do your own research on it. You may come to a different conclusion, and that's fine. But this is what everybody has asked for on a good summary of actual verses. So here we go. Alrighty. So again, the fact that it's actually 1,000 years, Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 5. Uh, the next uh, point that we would he have here is the theocratic rule, and that's God will rule in the person of Jesus Christ on the throne of David. King David reigns as a prince under Christ. And you can go to, which is funny because this is what we just wrote with the kids this morning, is Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, Psalm 89, 20 through 37. Isaiah 24, 23, Jeremiah 39, like chapter 30, verse 9, Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 15 through 17, Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24, Ezekiel 37, 24 through 25, Ezekiel 45, 22. See, again, it's hard. These things are everywhere. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Hosea 3, 5, Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. Next point would be the representative rule, and that's that the 12 apostles will represent Christ ruling over the 12 tribes. Church age and tribulation saints will represent Christ ruling over the Gentiles. Um, I want to, sorry, I just thought of something going yeah. back to the theocratic rule. That is where you get the idea of Christ coming to earth again and ruling like on this actual earth. Yes. Okay, that's what the theocratic rule is. Yes. So I just wanted to... Make, Make sure. sure. Sorry. So again, with the representative rule, that's uh, the apostles and the tribulation saints. Isaiah 32, 1 talks about it. Daniel chapter 7, verses 17 and 18, and then 21 and 22. And then again in chapter 7 and verse 27, Matthew 19, 28, Luke twenty two thirty, 30, Revelation chapter 3, verses 21, and then chapter 5, verse 10. Then there's the universal rule, which is Christ's rule will extend both spiritually and literally over the entire earth, right? Which we, is the period that we are in now. Because he is spiritually sure. in the universal rule currently. But this is the physical realized. But this is he the physical also. Literally, yeah. This is, but this is showing both yeah. of a spiritual and literal rule. Go ahead. And then you can look for that in Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, Psalm 72, 8, Daniel chapter 2, verses 44, and then in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, chapter 7, verse 14, chapter 7, verse 27, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, and then Zechariah chapter 9, and uh, verse 10. The seat of they government. have like the whole book. I know. <laughs> they do. They have Zechariah so right there on the whole book. Yeah. In the 9 and 10. Um, and so the seat of government, the earthly Jerusalem will be restored, blessed, and greatly expanded to serve as the seat of government and worship. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1. Uh, Isaiah chapter 65, 18 and 19. Ezekiel 48, 15 through 19. Luke 21, 24. And Revelation uh, chapter 11, verse 2. Let me stop you again here on that seat of government. Go down to here. It, it's got little um, notes at the very bottom of the article from different numbered notes. Yep. So if you go down go down to number two and read that from the one that you just read. 
So it says, in Holy Scripture, there are two Jerusalems. The one is on earth in the land of Palestine. The other is above in heaven. Galatians chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, and Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Now the old whole book of Hebrews again. Yeah. Now the Old Testament prophets speak of a city which in the coming kingdom shall be reclaimed from Gentile power, rebuilt, restored to the historic nation of Israel, and made the religious center of the world. This Jerusalem cannot be the heavenly Jerusalem, for that city is impeccably holy, the eternal dwelling of the true God, and has never been defiled or marred by human sin and rebellion. Any such notion is to the highest degree impossible and absurd. All predictions of a restored and rebuilt Jerusalem must therefore refer to the historical city of David on earth. Amen. That's true. And that is why I don't see how it takes anything away from Christ. Absolutely not. That is why the heaven, that is the like heavenly Jerusalem, like that is the impeccable city, the eternal dwelling of God. There's never been defiled, nor has any human sin seen it. This is no human has ever seen like that is. That's where we get that from. So that's yeah. where I, I don't I don't understand the charge of how it could take anything away. That's one of my my issues with that. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I just wanted to. Uh, no, that's, that's a good. That's a good great it point. separates the two. Absolutely. I like that. Um, the next point would be of global environment and the heavens and earth will be renewed to restore the creation to Eden-like conditions and repair the damage from man's long reign of abuse and the judgments of the tribulation period, which honestly, let's be for real, look at secular science today is screaming out, hey, y'all, if we don't seriously make changes, like we're going to cease to exist. Like the, the earth really can't, like I'm not trying to be Miss Hippie over here, but the earth literally cannot continue to exist at the rate at which we're destroying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's awful. It, it doesn't, it's not crazy yeah, to say that. Of- and so to the thought of returning, and, and we haven't even gone through tribulation, but the thought of returning to these Eden-like conditions, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Well, and that's the that, that's the part of it too that I, that I don't see any other way out of it because it's like, okay, yes. Man, Satan got man to fall in the garden. Yes. So all of a sudden now man, human, is corrupt. And now seemingly Satan has defeated, or not defeated, but Satan has seemingly ruined God's plan. Yeah. Okay. Well, part of the whole fix of it is the Messiah coming back and completely fixing it, not only in a spiritual eternal sense... But he's going to fix this little time period here that Satan's messed up. Like, he's going to come and be completely victorious over this. Yep. So even though Satan seemingly defeated in with death, you know, this is why what makes it seemingly. And with Christ, what he did, he's going to come around and he's going to completely reverse everything that was done in the garden of eden amen as if it never happened yeah i mean that's just mind-blowing i mean he already has because of what his death accomplished on the cross yeah so in a larger spiritual true sense yes that has been accomplished but it's just like the little details of it yes which are not so small because it's a literal, we believe that, that, and that's the point of this, is showing you 
Well, okay, they're not little details of this. It, they're serious because they're scriptural and, and it points all over to this. But the little details as in, oh, yeah, earth. Yeah, that whole one that's, you know, yeah, Satan messed up, death, sickness, being yeah. all that. Yeah, I got it. I've, I'm going to fix all that, too, as if this never happened. Yeah. And just bring this back to another. So I, I think that just adds to... To me, that just adds to this this viewpoint even more. And and again, the, those the scripture there, you know, if you look at things like Isaiah sixty five or seventeen and Matthew nineteen twenty eight, are a couple examples as far as that global global environment. Mm-hmm. Um, next would be the populace, resurrected and glorified saints will rule in the midst of Christ's brothers, the faithful Jewish remnant, and the sheep, the faithful Gentiles who survived the tribulation and enter the kingdom to form its initial population. Children will be born to those who enter the kingdom in their natural bodies, and if you look at Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 Isaiah chapter 26 verse 19 and then 65 20 and then 65 23 Matthew chapter 25 31 and Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 next would be the curse many aspects of the curse from Gen, uh, Gen, Genesis <laughs> chapter 3 verses 15 through 19 will be reversed people will live to a great age but death will still occur as before the flood animals will revert to to being vegetarians and will no longer fear man. Living waters will flow from beneath the sanctuary of the millennial temple, bringing life to the regions they water. And you can go to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, and then again in Isaiah at 65, 20 and 65, 25. Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 8 through 12. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 4. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. Revelation 21, 1 and 2 productivity the earth will be fruitful and men will enjoy the fruit of their labors go to psalm 67 verses 6 to 7 psalm 72 16 isaiah 35 1 isaiah 55 13 isaiah 65 22 joel chapter 2 verses 24 through 26 joel 318 and amos chapter 9 verses 13 and 14 um there's the scripture about building a home and no longer having to leave it for it gets to be your home, mm-hmm. right? And that is one that, you know, is an exciting one I know for a lot of us to look forward mm-hmm. to. I think of that one quite often. Um, but anyways, there's a, there's a lot of work of productivity yeah. in the things that we'll get to work on and actually enjoy the fruit of your labors. That is huge for a lot of us. Mount Zion is our next point. The region of Mount Zion will be lifted up to form the mountain of the Lord's house. You see that in Isaiah um, 2.2, Isaiah 56.7, Ezekiel 20.40, Ezekiel 40 chapter 2, Zechariah 14 verse 4, and then again in 14 verses 10 and 11, and Micah 4.1. These are the ones that a lot of people have... And I know this podcast has gone long, but like I said, it's a long topic. Um, But these are the problems that the ones that you have a hard time explaining in the Old Testament, because these ones that you can see that are clearly talking about this different time, but they're talking about a, a time with a temple and talking about the Lord ruling from this temple. Yeah. And. Those are the ones that they're very hard to spiritualize or to make in heaven because they're literal in yeah. prophecy. Yeah. 
they're talking about literal places in this like this mountain being raised above and there's not any good arguments of making this being a spiritual mountain that you know the the, the gospel is raised above all other things right now that's not it's not it so go ahead we're and we're almost done after these if after these verses here this pretty much wraps up and then there's some great notes on there but yeah so uh then moving on to the point of israel israel will finally inhabit the promised land permanently did you read all the millennial or the mount zion verses yeah okay um she will serve as the focal point of the nations because jesus will reign from jerusalem like from literal headquarters in jerusalem Genesis chapter 13, verse 15, and then again in Genesis 17, verse 8, 1 Chronicles 17, 9, Psalm 105, verses 8 through 11, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 18, and then in chapter 7, verse 7, and then 30, verse 3, and 31, verses 8 through 9, Ezekiel 37, 25, and then 39, 25 through 29, and then in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. But it's important that you read all of those books. Again, all all of it. Uh, The point of peace. All implements of war will be destroyed in favor of implements of productivity. Nations will no longer go to war. Disagreements between nations will be judged by Christ from Jerusalem. Again, this is another thing that's hard to fulfill spiritually. Yes. Or to say that it has already happened, and it's just nonsense. You, go ahead. You have to twist uh, a lot I of things. Um, to look at these points of peace, you can look at Psalm 72, verses 3 through 7, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, and then 9, verse 7, Ezekiel 37, 26, and Micah chapter 4, verse 3. The point of worship. This is a big one. Again, how are we literally doing these things a temple will stand in jerusalem and all the nations will go up to jerusalem for the feast of tabernacles sacrificial offerings will be resumed that one if it gets enough heat from enough people i will go into (laughs) it because that one's difficult for a lot of people yeah especially the this is where you set calvinists off yeah is, is this point right here and to look at um, some scripture for these. But it's because, it, like I said, it, it's a hard thing to to deal with um, for a lot of people. But it's what the prophecies say. And there's good explanations and reasonings behind this. Absolutely. Um, and the scripture for those would be Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. And then Isaiah 56, 6 through 7. And then again in 66, 20 through 23. Ezekiel 43, 20, 43, 26, 45, 15, 45, 17, 45, 20. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 18. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Joel three eighteen. Uh, then again in Haggai chapter 2 verses 7 through 9, Zechariah chapter 6 verses 12 through 15, then again in chapter 8, 20 and 23, once more in chapter 14, 16 through 21, Malachi chapter 3 verses 3 through 4, um, to name a few. <laughs> yeah. And then moving on to the demonic realm, 
Satan will be bound in the abyss and demons will be imprisoned in the regions of Babylon, Edom, and possibly the abyss. Um, there's some links for additional commentary on Revelation. Um, it's, this is chapter 18, verse 2, and chapter 20, verse 1. Um, very specific locations and details of the things that happen here that you can read in Isaiah um, chapter 34, verses 8 through 17. And then, of course, those two in Revelation 18, 2 and Revelation 20, 1 through 3. And then language, the curse of Babel, which is from Genesis 11, verse 7, the introduction of varied languages will be reversed. All the earth will have one language. And that's um, in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, talking about that. Are there some of the notes that you want me to um, I read. read Why don't you go ahead and read um, 3. Okay. Just note three here because okay. we talk about that. And then um, four. Okay. Three and four. So note here, uh, Matthew 19.28. Okay. Three, four, and six. Matthew 19.28. Jesus declared that the regeneration would take place when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory. His terminology is, is significant. It indicates that when Christ, as the Son of Man, as a human, a kinsman of mankind, rules the earth, there will be a return to the original state that existed when the earth was born, which is recorded in Genesis and involved mankind's tenant possession or administration of the earth as God's representative. Christ taught that he will begin to exercise that rule when he returns in glory with his holy angels. That's Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. Peter declared that the time of refreshing and the time of the restitution of all things will come when God sends Christ back to be personally present on the earth. F.F. F. Bruce wrote that the restitution to which Peter referred in Acts 3.21 appears to be identical with the regeneration to which Jesus referred to in Matthew 19.28 and that the restoration involved will include a renovation of all nature. The next point here is the passage in Isaiah either describes the regeneration of the heavens and earth in Matthew 19:28, since it precedes the description of the millennium which follows, or Isaiah saw the final heavens and earth and the millennium, Revelation 21:1. But the order of their presentation in the passage is reversed. And then you said point six as well. Um. Some allege that the millennial yeah, kingdom six. cannot be a spiritual. Okay. Some allege that the millennial kingdom cannot be a spiritual one if it is earthly, but earthly and spiritual are not necessarily mutually exclusive. If the two concepts were incompatible, Christians today could not be expected to live spiritual lives in earthly bodies. During the millennium, God will join the spiritual and the earthly in a full display of his glory on this earth. The earthly kingdom will manifest the highest standards of spirituality. Next point being the area of the present temple compound is not large enough to hold the temple described in Ezekiel and will require some major geographical mm -hmm. changes. They're huge. That is why the new mountain of Jehovah's house will be necessary. All right. And last point here we'll share is it says the whole Bible, even the New Testament, is written by Jews. If revelation is to recommence in the millennial kingdom, converted Israel must stand at the head of humanity. In a religious point of view, Jews and Gentiles stand on an equal footing as both alike needing mercy. But as regards God's instrumentalities for bringing about his kingdom on earth, Israel is his chosen people for executing his plans. It's a very great point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, anything else you want to add? This no, wraps up this all one, of the. We've gone really, really long on this one. We're gonna continue and y'all have on. a lot of reading to go do now because we just flung like a million yeah, things at you. Yeah, and we will have this linked <laughs> yes. and ready to go for you. Absolutely. So um, stay tuned. Again, way more that we are going to be talking about as we continue to go through these series. If you have any questions about any of the things specifically, go to aphomechurch.com and let us know. But otherwise, there is a ton of reading material for you guys to look at. And then we will move into some more detail on the points. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much.